Welcome to Creative City, the podcast that lets you listen in on my conversations with Cincinnati's most innovative and creative minds. Hey, welcome to the Creative City podcast, where I chat with Cincinnati's creative leaders and record the conversation so you can listen in. I'm Tamia Stinson from thestylesample.com, and I'm here today with Leah Spurrier, who is the co-founder of High Street and also happens to be one of my faves. Hi, Leah. Hi, Tamia. It's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, you too, always. Thanks for joining me. Of course. Um, so I'm a huge fan of High Street, have been for a really long time, because mm-hmm. I used to work on Main Street, and I remember when you guys were on 12th Street... There's a lot. I feel like I said street a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, you know, we're in like, you know, our neighborhood, right? Yeah, so exactly. we define everything by that. Yeah, this is the hood. So I'm curious about, like, I know where you have, where things have kind of gone since the main or since the 12th Street days, but how did you get to that point in the first place? I don't think I know that story. It's a, kind of an interesting story. How do I sort of make it digestible? Um, I relocated here from Huntsville, Alabama on purpose you to do this. Now? Yeah, I am. I mean, sort of. Yes. I mean, by way of San Francisco. But like, oh, okay. uh, but all my family are San Franciscans for many generations. Oh, okay. My hometown, I would consider Huntsville, Alabama. I was there 19 years. Wow. So, okay. And um, I relocated myself here from Huntsville, Alabama to, you know, have this, to have High Street. But, you know, it was an interesting journey. Um, I moved to Cincinnati and um, lived in um, Jackson, Lofts. Yeah, that's right where... One of the first development projects, you know, in Over the Rhine, right? And... um, It was the cool place to live, I remember. Yeah, (laughs) you know, fourth floor walk up, so, you know, good for the legs, good for the bod. (laughs) Anyway, um, and, um, you know, intended to start a lifestyle store. Knew I was going to do that. You went into it with that vision in mind already. Okay. So moved here to do it, and my husband worked at NASA at the time, and, you know, he eventually took a buyout and left just to be able to be here. I came ahead, and, I mean, it was hard to get relocated to this town because when we would try to sort of apply for jobs and things like that, people would say, why do you want to live here, which was interesting. Well, I am curious about what brought you to Cincinnati specifically in the first place. Like, what was it? Um, Well, um, I researched places to live. I wanted to be within a certain drive of my hometown. I felt like I'd had a lot of friends, you know, in the 90s, they sort of picked up and like, you know, little hipsters moved to Seattle. Oh, yeah. And they're so far from their family. I mean, and... Um, you know, had to work three jobs just like you would if you were in New York or, mm-hmm. you know, Chicago or Atlanta. And so, you know, didn't really enjoy Seattle and wound up coming home to be with their friends and family. And so I wanted to move somewhere that I felt was a commutable move. I had a really good base of friends and family there and, um, you know, or my friends are my family. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted a city that was very steeped in arts culture. And that uh, demonstrated, you know, in a very real and tangible way, an interest and um, importance in the arts. And then also I was looking for a city that I thought was attractive, you know, because I'm a very visual person. Clearly. And so I can't, <laughs> so I, I can't live somewhere that I don't feel, um, you know, kind of lifts my soul. Mm-hmm. And so Cincinnati is a beautiful city. It's very pretty here. Yeah, I mean, it's an extraordinarily pretty city. In fact, strangely enough, it used to be referred to as the San Francisco of the Midwest. I think I remember you know? hearing somebody say that, which makes sense given your background. Yeah, I think it harkens to my, you know, Irish San Franciscan genetics or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, so um, uh, I chose Cincinnati, and I remember sitting with a girlfriend, um, you know, in my, like, parents' house, you know, listening to music, and then saying, I'm going to move to Cincinnati, 
I'm going to get somebody on the telephone and find out how much it costs to live there and oh, picking up so the cute. phone. And, you to call somebody? Yeah, and I just called somebody at the Hilton and got somebody at the desk. And I said, how much do you make? Because I had friends that worked in the hotel industry. Oh, my God. Yeah. And um, I had friends that worked in the hotel industry, so I kind of knew how to compare. And it seemed to me, actually, the cost of living was less here than Huntsville. Huntsville's kind of an expensive town. It's all aerospace in- industry. Oh, and- okay. Um, a lot of engineers, and it's yeah. kind of a wealthy city. And so um, Cincinnati was actually affordable. And, you know, I, I called the Chamber of Commerce. I got a packet. I looked at it a lot, and you know, and I said, this is where I'm going. And so Cincinnati was it. And then it took me many years after that to get here. So I got married and renovated a house and got it in a magazine and got it on the cover and did a bunch of stuff to sort of get the ball rolling on my career. And then Promptly sold that house the second I got it in a magazine spread and and picked up and moved here. Did you do that on purpose? Like, was that the intent? Yes. So it was. Oh. I decided to do that instead of going back to school for another degree. Okay. So instead, I just started. You just did it. Yeah. I love that. See, I love that you number one did research because I love research. Research <laughs> is my jam. I'm so happy to hear that you did that. I'm kind of a geek that way. <laughs> Me too. And then you just freaking did it, like. I mean, you took the time to think about how you were going to get to where you wanted to get to, but then you just, like, did it. I think that's awesome. Thanks. I, I remember thinking, like, um, this looks like a city where I could make a difference. Like, I, I felt like this is a place where I could contribute. Like, it's trying to be cool. Like, yep. it's And it has, like, the bone structure of cool, but it maybe isn't there yet. And so, you know, and a lot of people were like, when I got here, I remember – and, you know, I was working in a more conservative environment when I first got here. But I remember people saying to me, what are you doing here? And why didn't you just go to New York? And yeah. and it was a strange, we were received very strangely. It, people just didn't seem to trust us at first. I would say, I'm coming here to open a big lifestyle store. And people would go, okay. Yeah, I you know? feel like that probably wasn't a thing people expected to hear. Because quite, I mean, honestly, I was born and raised mostly in this area. And... I still ask people, like, now, now why did you come here? Like, I actually, <laughs> I asked you that. Yeah. Ago. Yeah. Like, but here specifically, why? Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. So once you actually got here, you were looking, how did you, how did you know OTR was the place to be or was going to be the place to be? Well, it was visually, it was the environment that I wanted to live in. I, I wanted to live in a more urban setting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had grown up in the suburbs, essentially, you know, and in an insular environment. And I just wasn't interested in that. I mean, I wanted to live in a city where I saw people of diverse backgrounds and different colors having lunch together and conversations and I just wanted something that mirrored more of what my beliefs were and um, so I wanted to live downtown and was you know felt like it was meant to do that and so it was a very you know it was it was a no-brainer Same. I mean I saw it yeah <laughs> I saw it and I was like well that's where I'm supposed to be yeah uh-huh. um, and so I had had a boss I was in actually an AIDS activist in North oh. Alabama at the height of the AIDS crisis yeah I have an interesting sort of I, I was supposed to be a concert pianist actually so I've taken a couple of detours in my <laughs> life <laughs> yeah so but um I'd had a boss that was very inspired to me and she had lived all over the world her husband was a colonel and in the CIA and things and and she said you know when you move to a new city volunteer she said you know that is the way to meet people it's the best way to meet people and so that's what I did I volunteered for the downtown tour of living and um, oh, I remember that Oh, that's yeah. Like, oh, that got to be so nosy. Okay. You know, and I might, I, I had an apartment on the fourth floor walk up at Jackson Lofts that I decorated, you know, all in thrift and like, you know, but it was really hot looking. I mean, I had this really oh, great I'm furniture sure it was that. Oh, hot looking. Do you have pictures? I'm I do. Yeah, I have okay. some historical we'll have pictures from my pictures old, later. old portfolio, okay. but yes. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and I, I put a couple kegs of beer on the fourth floor and made sure that was common knowledge so that people from the tour would hike up all four floors. Uh-huh. And that was kind of my Marketing. first. Yes. <laughs> it was my first exposure to, um, you know, sort of the Cincinnati public as a designer. And I and concurrently, I'd worked on the Emory Center project when that renovation was happening and did some work for the lobby and did the um, the model unit. And I'd had this kind of meager budget, but I, I, I volunteered, you know, a couple hundred hours to the wow. Emory Center just, you know, and that's part of, you know, it's just part of paying your dues. I just mean, when you want to do something, out there type of thing. yeah, uh-huh. just, you know, when you want to do something, just doing it has power and, you know, trying to get paid for every dime of it sometimes doesn't make sense when you don't really have much mm-hmm. leverage yet, right? So um, I did that. And then one day I was at Jackson Lofts and I, uh, you know, went to the pick up the mail and I saw Cincinnati Magazine and we were on the, you know, the work that I'd done at the Emory was on the cover. What? Yeah. You didn't even know? I didn't know. Actually, Kitty Morgan was the um, editor at the time. Yeah. She um, uh, became a friend, ultimately, and then I became like a contributing editor, ultimately, yeah. but yeah. it was... Um, um, it was it was cool, you know. I just was thrilled that it was on the cover, and you know, Kitty printed a like, oh, you know, apology to Leah Spurrier. She styled this, you know, the cover shot, and but it was actually the urban living issue, and it was like a big issue at the time because I'm gonna look for this issue. Do you remember what year it was? Yeah, I have, I have, a, I have all of our press, so okay, okay. Um, I have a whole archive of stuff. But um, but anyway, that was kind of what launched my career in the city in a way because you know it was that open apartment on the fourth floor with the beer kegs and the <laughs> and the cover shot and you know the work at the Emory and from that I started to build a client you know book of client work and I knew I was going to do interior design for a certain amount of time just to get sort of in that the right ballpark like you know to be able to go to shows and trade shows and start to understand the retail industry and then I would open a store so that was really the plan it sounds like you worked that plan. I love that you had a plan. I'm such a planner. I'm so happy that you had a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I had a plan to, to, you know, get out of Huntsville. I had a plan to start my career and get it rolling before I left there yeah. to transfer that here, to volunteer, to sort of, you know, get it rolling here. And then, um, you know, the only thing that I didn't do was I planned to work in advertising for a couple of years and save some money first. But I really didn't need a lot of money to start that business. I mean, to really? start... And, and I started as, um, you know, um, Life Aesthetics was the name that I started under. Yes. And so I started that business with like $8,000. Wow. You know, just a small amount of money, uh-huh. you know. Um, and so, I, you know, I really didn't need to work for a couple of years for so much. Were you still doing the interior design as you were starting the business, the retail side? Yes. Okay. I actually ran a store and kept completely, like, you know, immaculate store hours. So yeah. I was like, once I was, and people weren't doing that in Over the Run at the time, but I did from the get-go. I felt like you really can't run a retail store, be a serious merchant, if you don't keep, you know, a very sort of um, consistent hours. So I opened. I'm 100% um, in agree. I just want to interject and say how important that is <laughs> as far as having consistent hours and being there when you say you will. Yeah, I okay. mean, you know, you can't expect people to return I've if they're disappointed. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just you're not being serious. I don't think. Yeah. So, um, you know, I opened Life Aesthetics actually, you know, a couple of months, and it was a bit of an act of indignance. I have to say, I had been dissuaded from opening the big store 
by some a couple of people in town whose entire job was actually to promote, um, you know, urban sort of um, gentrification, which well, is a word that I think is an incendiary word anyway. But, sure. but you know, what they were trying to do was preserve, you know, to keep the creative class in Cincinnati and keep them, you know, uh, stores like mine should have been the poster child for change. And so I had approached a, a couple of people, and I, I'm not going to name names, but one in particular – um, you know, was very dismissive and was like, you know, I mean, if I was going to bring a store to Cincinnati, Lee, I'd, I'd open a crate and barrel. I'd open a crate and barrel, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, that's not the kind of thinking I was looking for. And so, you know, I was very, really? yes. So I was marginalized very quickly when I reached out to sort of say, hey, I'm the person that you're looking for. Like, I just relocated myself here to do exactly what you guys are so desperate to right. see happen. Yeah. And I met with some pushback. And um, and we had had the riots, right. and you know I I'd, I'd lived right in the middle of over the Rhine right. during that experience, and and seeing everybody twist it, you know, twist people's words, take every, you know, the whole thing was really so disturbing from beginning to end, and so in an act of real indignance, and in a partnership with Urban Sites at the time, yeah. they gave me six months free rent, and I opened a store on Thirteenth and Clay. And I did it in just in time for the tour of downtown living to go right past the door that year. So I opened that store in about 27 days flat including, from start to finish. So I got financing and funding on good credit of about $38,000. And I did that in about three days. What? And then I had the store open in 27 days. That is crazy. So had you already had an idea of the type of merchandise you were going to carry? Because I can't imagine how... I did. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of a sourcing fiend. So, like, I, you know, I really do live and breathe my work, and, yeah. and that's real cool. I mean, it has its drawbacks, and it can be hard to unwind. I think it's really important to get outside and be in the country and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I um, my work is completely folded into my life, mm-hmm. and I think that's fine. I think it works for me, yeah. and I think that my work has given my, made my life very rich. You know, that's really cool. So twenty-seven days later, isn't that a movie? (laughs) Twenty-eight days later, that was a good movie. (laughs) That was a good movie. You did it faster than the movie. Okay, so twenty-seven days days later, you have this, from what I recall, fantastic lifestyle store. Small at the beginning. It was Mm -hmm. small at the. It was small. Well, this is a freaking warehouse. (laughs) By comparison, a lot of things would seem small. But you had this small lifestyle store, and you were doing your thing in terms of being creative and entrepreneurial in OTR years before that became the big thing that it is now. What was it like then? I have to tell you that it was the beginning of one of the most charmed experiences ever. And I, I think it was like an experience in Over the Rhine that may not happen again. It was like... Because Keith Mueller from Flowers and Beyond was on 13th and Clay at the time. So he was the he was the pioneer first on that corner. And I lived in the apartment above his flower shop. I had this 2,400 square foot loft that was absolutely beautiful. I had a table that would seat 10 people. I'd have people over on, you know, it was really a terrific place to live. It was the directors of museums and, you know, editors of magazines and people who are running nonprofits and people who are in the fashion industry and people who are just socialites and people who are just purveyors of good taste and real connoisseurs and contemporary art crowd and gallery crowd. It was just, it was wild. How did they know? Because this was pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram. I just think that that scene at the time was really tight 
And it was really actually driven more by a more mature, it was driven by a more mature crowd of people. Like there was a crowd of people at that time, I think between the ages, I would say generally um, of like 45 and 65 that were like just a really hot crowd. I mean, and so they were just, they sort of always knew what the cool stuff was that was going on and they just... They decided that, that what we were doing was cool, and I mean, and, and Sarah, you know, brought like that certain cachet, and it just everything just kind of clicked, and so that was the beginning of the business in in a lot of ways. I mean, I'd had an interior design business already, right? But you know, there's something about like you know a brick and mortar, open to the public space, a place to go that um, is very um, it makes you bona fide. So to speak. I, yes, yeah. Because it requires investment, not only of capital, but of time. Mm-hmm. Like you have and like commitment. You have to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've committed to a space on the earth for a certain amount of time. Well, you're you're basically saying to your public, I want to interact with you. Uh-huh. And I think that that's a really powerful thing. And it was from the very first. I mean, it, it, it was absolutely astonishing to me the difference in the way people treated me when I had a business that was, you know, not open to the public and working from a studio versus having a store. Really? It was it was like night and day. Night and day. Because you thought it they thought it brought more legitimacy to yes. what you were doing. I mean without question. That's really without question. And then of course you taking it seriously. And then you know, I worked around the clock. So I had no employees. I had thirteen or fourteen design clients by that time. Then I took on the Cincinnati magazine gig and I did that every month. Um, the first necessities column. Yeah. And that took three to five days a month. I mean, and I just worked until 3 a.m. repeatedly. All the time. All the time. And then, you know, I had friends that would come by, you know, and from the very beginning, I was so fortunate because from the very beginning of the brand, which started as Life Aesthetics, then became Aesthetica when I partnered with Matt and then became High Street, um, you know, uh, there was support. You know, it was something that somehow move people in a way that they were willing to give of their time. And, you know, I can say without question that the coolest thing about my life, you know, the best thing has been this, the, the things that my work has brought that, you know, um, putting that out into the world and then getting, you know, like-minded people back who want to contribute or interact or collaborate in some way or contribute, you know, really contribute of them, you know, themselves to something that is, Otherwise, a private business, but, you know, it's a hard thing to run a small business. Yeah. And, you know, without um, support and help, um, it's very difficult to grow one, you know. It's, I feel like that's one of the best things about this city. Everybody seems to be extremely supportive of people who are trying to do something. So if you're putting yourself out there and you are making the effort to make the city a better place, I feel like there's a lot of support here, even if you don't necessarily know people. I've always been really surprised and obviously pleased about that. I'm not sure if it's like that everywhere. I don't know that it is. I mean, I actually would say that that's one of Cincinnati's strong points. Agreed. You know, I think um, maybe it comes from kind of that, that heavily German influence, you know, but I felt like, you know, in the South, it was the kind of thing where, you know, if you could talk a good game, you were a really good talker. Mm-hmm. You know, you could talk your way into a lot of stuff. Um, and substance wasn't so much of an issue. And it was mostly running on taxpayer dollars in a government town. This is a town where widgets are made and sold. <laughs> and, you, you know, work gets done in this town. Yeah. And so I, I felt very quickly that this town is like, you know, we got to see it. 
Like, that sounds nice, but until I see it, I can't believe it. And, you know, this town, you have to have, you have to back it up, what you're saying. And once I think this town sees that you'll do that and that you're a real contributor, they completely jump on board. Right. And they are wonderful at helping you network and wonderfully helpful in general. Yeah. So once you have this amazingly cool crowd that I somehow missed out on, I mean, I... Apparently, I wasn't invited to that party, but whatever. You were, you were a no. zygote. <laughs> <laughs> so once you had that initial business started, is that when you then decided to expand by moving to a larger space? Well, the the store, the, the first store was a total compromise. It wasn't what, you know, I had no intention of opening a little boutique. I, I intended to open the store we have now. So, I mean, the vision of the store as it is now was very much in place before I ever got here. And and I would say, you know, in speaking for Matt and my partner, that he had a vision that was very similar as well. And that was one of the things that was so serendipitous in our meeting. And How did you guys hook up? Um, well, he opened a store around the corner um, that was similar to mine. Okay. And, um, you know, he had... You know, he had the same idea. You know, he wanted to open a design retail hybrid and, you know, with some expansion potential. And so when he opened Aesthetica around the corner, people in the neighborhood were trying to that's pit us. That's the store I remember. Yes. That's the store I remember. Mm-hmm. Aesthetica and that's on 12th and Jackson. Yes. Okay. Got it. So, you know, long story short, Matt was around the corner. People tried to make us hate each other. We decided <laughs> to like each other instead. Oh, I love that. And um, decided that we should do this together. And, you know, we were both looking to build a real brand. Mm -hmm. So beyond being a shopkeeper or designer, what we were really looking to do was do a very serious brand development and develop a lifestyle brand that would be leverageable over, you know, different revenue streams that would, you know, one day produce its own publications or catalog or, you know, e-commerce products. Where did all this come from, though? Like, what... What sparked that and the whole branding thing? I feel like branding gets a lot of talk in this day and age, at least for the past decade. Yeah, it's or so. ubiquitous now, but at but, the time it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. So where did that come from? Um, I think, um, well, if I, I can't speak for Matt, but I can say for myself that um, that's just the way I think. I think like a business person. Mm-hmm. So like if I if I love something like I love doing something Mm -hmm. I almost always turn it into a business very hard for me not to turn it into work Uh I actually have to fight to keep certain things for myself for enjoyment yeah and not sort of pervert them for (laughs) you know business and it isn't for money I'm not um I I think money is a very important thing and I think it would be silly to say it's not and I don't think that you're running um, you know, you're being very businesslike if you don't have respect for money. Agreed. Um, but I think that a passion for something just naturally, it's like pulling a string for me, just naturally leads to some organization. Uh-huh. And total branding as a designer, you know, one of my passions and something that's little known about us, but we've done it for other people is, you know, providing like a total branding experience through design. You know, I love taking an entity and figuring out what their uniqueness is, what their message is, you know, helping them get named, you know, develop taglines and language, a look, yeah. a culture, you know, that part of, you know, shaping a business and giving it like consistency and power, like visually making it powerful, making the message powerful is really interesting to me. You're creating a little world almost, like its own 
little universe. Exactly. Each thing. Yeah. I love that too. I think it comes from control issues. Now, I'm not going to put that on you. I'm just <laughs> saying that that's where it comes from with me. For me, I mean, I think it actually comes straight from just pure enthusiasm. Uh-huh. Like I just... Um, you know, I I have that tree branchy thinking, you know, so one one idea leads to another idea leads to another idea. So in that way, I'm very entrepreneurial. You know, that's a very visionary way to think. You know, my business partner um, is also a deeply creative person, but he, you know, he's a Taurus. He's very methodical. So the, the combination of those two types of thinking and those two approaches, we almost always land in exactly the same place, but the process by which we get there is different. And that little calibration makes for this like kind of 5 to 7% differential between us that's like a very important calibration for the business. Um, and I think it makes us together have like the perfect business mind. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it seems it, clearly it's been working. So, <laughs> so once you guys merged... And, again, decided to expand. You moved into this huge, I mean, was it a warehouse before? Um, we called it the rug going out of business place. So because was it, was, it was, there was a, there was, there were some rug dealers in the first floor. Oh. And so I just I said rug that. dealers. <laughs> so I just want to make that clear that okay. that's an R. But they were, they, they were, <laughs> I'm just going to say that they were a little shysty. Okay. So anyway, but, um, and then there was a, a to the trade design center on the second floor. Now this building mm. at 1401 Reading is 30,000 square feet. Yeah, that's a lot of buildings. And we now own 1401 and we have for about four years, but you know, it's certainly a very visible space in which, I mean, we have jokes all the time about 1401 and how people zoom past it on Reading Road <laughs> as they're heading into downtown and... When we opened the second floor um, a year ago this past September, um, we actually had T-shirts printed with a picture, like a diagram of the building on the front and on the back. It said, you've been driving past here for years. (laughs) You just didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Because people always come in and they say, I've been driving past here for years. So that's literally what people say to you. Yeah. That's so funny because this is where I bring people who are visiting the city and I want to show them like, this is what we can do, guys. Look how cool we are. And I also come here and just like hang out and pretend I live here for a little while. Oh, to me, that is so <laughs> wonderful to hear. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. That just makes me so well, happy. you guys have tea and fashion and books and all sorts of other things I like. It's just fun to come in and lounge and chill out and well, you know, pretend. And that is, you know, it's a wonderful thing to hear, but it's like it's even more wonderful from a business perspective in the sense that that was exactly the idea. High Street was meant to be a place that was a haven for creatives. One of the things about Cincinnati that's interesting is that because of the great industry here, we actually have a nice sort of subculture of creatives. Oh, for sure. And people who have been, you know, sort of, some of them dragged here from the farthest reaches of the planet, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the wayward souls. And they, they come to Cincinnati, and sometimes they feel a little lost. And, you know, um, when we always hope, we try to reach out and hope that they find us. But to have people, um, like-minded people, you know, coming in and um, finding sort of a little bliss at High Street was definitely a goal of ours. That's what it is. You know? Mm-hmm. It's a little lifestyle <laughs> bliss. So, I mean, that's wonderful to hear because it means it's working. But I know that you guys started doing, like, design consulting. Mm-hmm. 
You have a service? I just picked up a card, actually. Okay, so you're probably talking about the Design, Design Light, Light service. That's what it is. So we, so I'm, it's it probably, in some ways, I've thought for years that our design business is actually in some ways more well-known than High Street, the lifestyle store in a way. And certainly with the in, inception of the furniture store at High Street upstairs, where we devoted an entire floor to furniture that's actually larger than the first floor, um, you know, it became obvious to us in the last couple of years that, you know, every person that walks through the door um, who's interested in furniture is not necessarily uh, an interior design client per se. And that being said, you know, we like to sell furniture very responsibly. So, you know, what, what we mean by that is, you know, you're making pretty big purchases. Mm-hmm. And when people get ready to make those leaps, you know, they really they can fall into the wrong hands. We really wanted to make sure that people were getting very good advice and guidance okay. here. And so... You want them to feel comfortable with those choices, like they've done the right thing, they've made the right choice. Right, because there's a lot to getting the right size, scale, balance mm-hmm. of textures, colors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most people really actually can't make those decisions for themselves exceedingly well. It's hard. And so, you know, having people that are trained in that and can do that um, on the sales floor, helping people make, you know, just really good aesthetic furniture choices, you know, and also reasonable and practical choices for their lifestyle, whether they have children or pets or they're single or whatever the the situation. Um, So the Design Light program allows us to have a team member go into the home and take measurements and document and photographs and do things that you might otherwise maybe access through the design studio, but do it in a way that's just lighter. You know, that's yeah. why we call it light. It's just, um, you know, it, it would be as long as people purchase furniture after their, at their purchasing appointment where, you know, we sort of sit down and go through the design plan for them. Um, you know, the, I believe it's $120 fee is just credited to the, um, to the, furniture purchase. And so, you know, but it allows us to provide design, you know, within sort of a a frame that makes sense for a a much larger market Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, reserve our design services, which are finite. I mean, we can only take so many projects, you know, commercial or residential. um, And it allows us to do both in a way that is um, respectful you know, to both sides of the business. Yeah, that's great. Because sometimes I'm like, ooh, a turquoise velvet couch. That would be amazing. But what else could I build around that? <laughs> so it didn't just look like I plunked this random item of furniture down in the middle of my living Like my a spaceship room. landed like, in your living room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be nice to have mm-hmm. some context that somebody could help me develop around that. So that sounds like a really useful service. It is because we, there's a lot of things we can do. There are things we can't do. We don't, you know, do custom, a lot of stuff like that. But we have lots of, you know, furniture companies that we can do you know, custom and semi-custom pieces with. But, you know, we can make pillows for you with fabrics and, you know, put in lamps and side tables and benches and, you know, pick a bunch of different, you know, upholstery selections and, um, you know, anything that's kind of portable or movable, you know, we can do in a design light appointment. You know, rugs, we can do window shades Mm. and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's an awful lot we can do to improve the house without you really engaging in a full sort of design service. Got it. So, and then, you know, something else that we've been doing a lot more of that's really very cool is we've been working more to the trade. So we've been doing a lot more work as a finisher for other architectural firms and design firms. Ooh, is that fun? It's really fun. That sounds like fun. It's really great fun. You know, you're working in a, you know, at a higher level in a way with your peers, 
Um, and you know, the, the stakes are higher and, you know, we, it's great work. I mean, um, you know, one of the projects we're most proud of, um, was one of Matt's projects was the new Rift Distillery. So I love that place. I mean, and I, as soon as I, in, I was like, those couches are from High Street. I recognize it immediately. Oh, Tamia, you well, warm my heart. Well, number one, we pulled around. I kind of cheated there. <laughs> well, we are not the firm, the design firm on record. We were hired by the firm to do the finishing for that project, oh. you know? And so one like of the, the things... accessorizing? Like well, it's basically everything that's not nailed down, you huh. know? Okay. So, um, and one of the things that we have going for us that is something that's very unique in the market, like I, I would venture to say it would be very difficult for anybody to equal that, is that we, we have vendor sourcing that is vast because you know we have an 18,000 square foot lifestyle store oh, right so yeah. our library our design library is fantastic our vendor relationships are vast okay. we ha- literally are dealing with hundreds and hundreds of vendors wow. i mean when you look at like our accounting you know it, it prints out at 28 and 30 pages you know for a report you know with our vendor list and you know stuff like that because we have so many open relationships and because we have that um, we can satisfy just about any need or budget. So when somebody in the business, in the industry comes to us and says, we'd like you to do the furniture for this, you know, we will look at what their sort of aesthetic goal is and their direction, just like we would with a residential client. And we're business people. We function very much like business people. So we're looking for them to, you know, deliver something where they, you know, everything makes money and mm-hmm. does well. And um, and we can fulfill that need, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, those fulfillment jobs are really fun for us, you know? Yeah, it sounds like it. I would love to do stuff like that. Not necessarily in the decor mm-hmm. arena, but, like, fashion and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to think on that a little bit, see if I can work something out in my head. I would love to do a project with you someday. <laughs> yeah, we should do something together. We'll, we'll continue to think Creative collaboration is my That's favorite thing. As I mentioned, it is the best thing about my life. Creative collaboration. I love it. Agreed. Agreed. So if people do want to get in contact with you and perhaps creatively collaborate, um, where can people find you online? Um, you can find us at highstreetcincinnati.com or at bhighstreet.com. Um, you can call us, you know, um, seven guys on the, on the Twitters. We we're on, you know, we're on all the social media. (laughs) We have to be on all the social media to me. We're Uh on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Um, you know, I forget what's your Twitter hashtag again. Um, love high street. It's love high street. Okay. Love high street. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's something that we've been saying to our customers internally for years. And it's kind of like this personal thing between us and our customers. And it's interesting now that we're like, we're about to do a bunch of media on it and make it our hashtag. But oh, nice. it's it's actually been in our language for years. If you want to find me online, I am The Style Sample on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on my website at thestylesample.com. And you can find more episodes of the Creative City Podcast at creativecitypodcast.com. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Leah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I really appreciate it. I loved it. All right, we'll see you next time.